0: Take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, John's Gospel, chapter 4. And I want to teach today, we've finished a series of messages on what is God like. And I've been trying to build into our church an understanding of God because there's something that I want to see happen as a result. And that is, you know, the Bible says, they that know their God will be strong and then do exploits. And one of the exploits, one of the things that I think we're called to do is to share our faith and our hope in Jesus with other people. We're to promote and expand the kingdom of God. So what I want to do tonight, uh, tonight this morning, sorry, I'm still Saturday night, um, is how to create a ripple effect through one-on-one friendship, just sharing faith with friends. And I want to use a story in the Bible where I see this very clearly lived out, in the life of Jesus. It's in John chapter 4. Now I want to just sort of tell you the story and then I want to hit one place in the scripture where there is sort of a response by what many of us know as we've read our Bibles, the woman at the well. Do you remember the woman at the well? And Jesus meets her in Samaria. He is uh, now ministering through Galilee. He's come through a county. It's like a county called Samaria. And Samaria was shut off from the rest of Israel because the Samaritans were sort of like half-breeds. They were half Jew, half Gentile. Uh, so by the Jews, they were called dogs. They were they were really pressed down. This this was really uh, in many ways uh, racial discrimination, and it's at its very worst. Uh, these people were were not even spoken to by the Jewish people. So here Jesus is walking now through Samaria. His disciples have gone into a little town in Samaria called Sychar, down to the local McDonald's to get some food. Jesus comes to a well, and he's thirsty. He's been ministering, he's been preaching, he's tired, he's thirsty. And there's a woman there at the well, and he says, would you give me a drink? And she is absolutely blown away by this, simply because, number one, because he's a Jew speaking to... Uh, a Samaritan, um, but um, the other one was that he's he's a man speaking to a woman, and in that in that culture, that just was taboo. And so she's sort of blown away by this. And you know, why why would you talk to me? Now I would encourage you to read through the story because you'll you'll probably get much more as you as you read it yourself. But but then she says, well, why would you ask me for a drink? And he basically says, look, you know, I need a drink of physical water but I, I have some water I'd love to give to you too, and it will refresh your soul all the way to eternity. And she goes, well, like, what's up with that? Uh, who are you? And uh, and Jesus said, well, I'll tell you who I am, but go get your husband first. You remember the story? She said, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you know, you're right. I know that. You, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the one that, that you're now living with is not your husband. And she goes, whoa, you know. Are you a prophet? You must be a prophet, and uh, and then Jesus uh, begins to just continue on in this conversation. He engages her. He, he just begins to open her up, and and they and they visit and they talk about a number of different things. Finally, they get down to uh, you know uh, sort of religious concepts, and she said, "Well, we Samaritans say we worship in the mountains. You you Jews talk about the temple." And Jesus said, "You know, there's a day coming." where the temple and the mountains are going to be completely, you know, it's like like a non-issue. That God is Spirit and we are to worship Him in Spirit and in truth. And He begins to now open up for her spiritual truth. And she says, I know that's probably true. And I've also heard that someday Messiah, the Savior, is going to come. And He drops the big bomb on her and says, you know what? The one you're talking to is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And now, if you'll pick up with me, verse 28, if you have your Bibles there, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town... And made their way toward Him. Now the disciples come back and they're trying to figure out what's happened. Verse 39, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. And he, He told me everything that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to Him, they urged Him to stay with them. And He stayed two days. And because of His words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So before I go on, could I just say, Father, now today in Jesus' name, Lord, would you send to us the the precious gift of teaching? Lord, would you open our hearts up, O God? And would you even today give us commission to share with our friends this incredible message that the Savior has come given his life, risen from the dead, and now lives and reigns to bring life to us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today because we are getting ready to celebrate the greatest celebration the world will ever know. Almost a billion people will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ worldwide. And it's a very important time, not just for us, but it's a time where so many people out there who are lost, who are unchurched, who don't know Jesus in a personal way like most of us do here, they are really ready for invitation. Uh, this is a time, I mean, we make light of the fact of, you know, the Christmas Easter people that just come at Christmas and Easter. These are incredible opportunities to help people find their way into the kingdom of God. George Barna has just done a recent survey, I just read it, And he said that the unchurched in America is growing at an alarming pace and that there now in America is over a hundred million people who are completely detached from the church. Totally. A hundred million people. In fact, he says that if you were to separate out the church from the unchurched in America, the unchurched would represent the 11th largest nation in the entire world. America is becoming one of the greatest harvest fields of the world to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the lost. And this is a, a wonderful, wonderful time to begin to open our lives up and to become, uh, you know, courageous enough to at least say, come and see this one who I have found, the savior of the world, the one who has opened my heart up. You see, I think what this story is all about is is the power and the potential and the importance of one-on-one friendship evangelism. You know, just sharing your life, your spiritual life, with with people that are friends, that you have equity with, that you know, that you, you enjoy, that they love you and you love them. So much of our time we spend in evangelism, we think of evangelism as sharing Jesus with strangers. And that's okay, but I'm telling you that the power of evangelism oftentimes happens when we open our hearts up and share with people that are living right next door to us, that we love, that we enjoy, that we've known for a long, long time, and yet they've never maybe had the opportunity to come into the kingdom of God. And so this is a powerful, powerful time. You know, I I began to do a little math, and I thought about this many, many times before, but do you know that if every adult Uh, member of our church every adult that calls the heartland vineyard church their church home in this church were to go out this year and just win one i'm talking one one person to the lord just win one lost person to the lord and then take them up under their wing and teach them for a year how to walk with jesus how to how to read their bible how to pray and then teach them how to go out the next year, and that they would win one, and we would do this year after year after year. Do you know that after only five years, we would baptize 48,000 people? Hello? You're looking at me funny. I mean, people talk about winning your city to Christ. My friends... It is well within our grasp to be able to do this or to do a significant part among the other great churches in our city. But I'm telling you to, to bring Jesus to the entire city is well within our reach. If every person would see that they could share just with one person each year for five years, you'd bring five people into the kingdom of God in five years, but the multiplication that would take off, it's just absolutely unbelievable. And so that's what I'm talking about. The ripple effect. Now, I had a, a good friend who was a, really a wonderful teacher. And he was, he was pretty out there. I mean, he would just say what he'd say and he'd go, whoa. But he, he told his church, I remember I was sitting there in church, he said, you know, my friends, there are 30,000 people in our city that are lost. And we don't give a damn. And he said, and worse than that, you're more upset that I used the word damn then you are the 30,000 people that are going to hell. <laughs> and I said, man, you're right. Folks, we've got a big job. And, and so, I, I, listen, there is a ripple effect that can begin, that can start, as we just simply share our faith and our hope in Jesus with one person. Let me give you a little story. I read this story years ago. It's so profound. An iron worker who taught Sunday school by the name of Walter Kimball in 1858 went into a shoe store and began to befriend a shoe clerk. And as he befriended him, he would talk to him almost every day because as he walked to work, he would stop and he would visit with this man. He finally led him to Jesus. This man's name was Dwight L. Moody. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Dwight L. Moody or not, but Dwight L. Moody became one of the great evangelists in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And in fact, Dwight L. Moody, without any, you know, internet, television, all the great technology we have to get the message out, Dwight L. Moody is credited with winning one million people to Jesus himself. I mean, the, the Spirit's fire was so powerful in Dwight L. Moody. And so, Dwight L. Moody, in one of his services, awakened the spiritual fervor of a small-town pastor by the name of F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer ended up teaching a class on a college campus and won a student there, led a student there by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman, who was a YMCA director and had employed a major league baseball player on the off-season by the name of Billy Sunday. I don't know if you've ever heard of Billy Sunday or not. He leads him to Jesus Christ. Billy Sunday becomes so impassioned by the power of God that he gives up his Major League Baseball career. In fact, by the way, Billy Sunday, do you know where he's from? Nevada, Iowa. He went to school in Nevada, Iowa. Billy Sunday goes out. He begins to hold services. And as Billy Sunday leads people to Jesus, he's ministering down in the southeast. He stirs up the spiritual fervor of a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. Who then preaches in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he has the privilege of leading a single person to the Lord there. His name is Billy Graham. The ripple effect began, and I'm telling you that of the in fact, these, these three people, Deal Moody, Billy Sunday, and Billy Graham are credited to have won 20, over 20 million souls into the kingdom of God. But every time the cheer goes up for these guys, guess who the angels are carrying off on their shoulders? Walter Kimball. Well, Jesus, obviously He's the Savior. Walter Kimball, who is the guy who is that factory worker who just simply shared his faith with that one person, D.O. Moody, and got the ball rolling. See, we don't understand the power of just personally sharing with friends. Our faith in Jesus Christ. Why don't Christians share Jesus with their friends? Let me cover the negative part first. First of all, most Christians don't see this as part of their ministry. My friends, Jesus came to seek and to save those that were lost. This is His, this is his uh, mission statement. If we are the body of Christ, our mission is to seek and to save those that are lost. First John says, For, for Christ came for this reason, that He might defeat the works of the enemy. The works of the enemy is to bring darkness into the hearts and the lives of people, to keep them bound in the kingdom of darkness. We have the great privilege as ambassadors of Jesus Christ to help bring a translation up out of that darkness and into the light of God's kingdom. So, that, you know, to, to, to think that this is not part of our ministry. We we spend so much time seeking after our what's our eternal destiny. Where should we go? What should we do, Lord? The fact is, in many ways, our eternal destiny might be living right next door. In a friend, in a family member, in someone we're working with. And they're just sort of waiting for someone to share with them this incredible message that Jesus lives today. He is a risen, living King who comes to bring life. Another reason, I think, why people don't share their faith is most Christians don't believe that they know enough. They just don't, they just, you know, I, I think the enemy has done such a great job of, of striking over the church this inferiority complex. Like, I, I just don't know enough. Folks, can I tell you, if you're not, if you don't have this real slick presentation of the gospel, if you don't have it all memorized, and if you don't maybe even understand it all, I don't understand it all, but, but, but if you don't have it all just super polished and really slick, I'm telling you, you are much more effective in our culture today. Because people are suspicious of the people who have it all sort of pulled together and really put together and say, oh, man, this is the great presentation. They, they, they sort of pull away. If you can just simply share with them, this is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I'm, I'm telling you, there, there is incredible power in that. I, I've got some really dear friends, many of you know, Bill and Corrine Brown. I play racquetball with, with uh, Jim. Did I, say, did I say Bill? Jim and Corrine Brown. And I play racquetball with Jim about every week. And uh, he was telling me about... They have a, a two daughters, uh, Sylvia and Annie. And Sylvia is six years old. And uh, they, he told me a story about how just a few weeks ago they were at some friend's house. And they were just having a nice time. These friends are not church people. They're not they're not Christians, but they've really enjoyed their company. And so um, Jim and Corrine went to go get Sylvia and said, Honey, we're ready to go. And Sylvia said, "Just Just a minute, we're just about done. And and then Jim and Corrine just sort of stood there because they're thinking, well, maybe they're, they're still playing with their toys. And then they heard Sylvia say, Okay, now I've told you about Jesus. Will you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And the little boy said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. She said, just say, forgive me of my sin. The little boy said, forgive me of my sin. And then she said, now tell him, thank you that you live in my heart. He said, thank you that you live in my heart. And Sylvia said, in Jesus' name, amen. And then she got up and said, okay, we're ready to go home. Six years old, leading this little boy to the Lord Jesus. Folks, you don't have to to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to have a degree to do this thing. So sort of get over this inferiority complex. Because if your hope is in Jesus Christ... I want you to know, you know enough. You know enough. Third thing is this. Most Christians don't want to experience rejection. And I understand that. I know there's a fear of rejection. I know there's a fear when we begin to share spiritual things with people that they're going to reject us. You've got to understand, they're not rejecting you. I I used to take it very personally. And I, I had to get over that and realize they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting what I believe. They're rejecting the person of Jesus Christ who I love. They're not rejecting me. And so what I have to do though is understand that they need to hear this message from me and I'm not going to give up on them. And I'm going to just sort of just keep, keep every opportunity I get. I'm going to keep sharing with them. I told you the story about an assistant football coach that I, that I worked with. And I mean, this guy was tough. And he, I would walk into the coach's office and he'd see me walk in and go, ah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, and he's just mocking me. (laughs) And I just keep saying, yeah, I, I say, look, you don't understand. God loves you. God loves you. And I would talk to him. And then it came a time where he found out his son, who was a senior in high school, was an alcoholic. And he came to me. And he said, you have talked about God in your life. And you know what? I need God. And I had a chance to lead that man to the Lord. Only because I think I just put up with the rejection. It's okay to be rejected. And so, the fear of rejection. And then number four, most Christians aren't motivated enough by compassion. The more we get the love... And this is what I love about my church. Because so many of you are operating in the love of God. You know the love of God. You're not operating out of a sense of guilt, not, well, I gotta go door to door, knock on doors and share my faith. You know, let's not do that. But I'm telling you, when you have the compassion of God and you look at that person that's working next to you or that neighbor that's living next to you and you go, man, I, I know how much God loves them. I'll tell you, this is when you become effective as a witness. And then number five, most Christians don't see evangelism as a process. As a process. It is a process. Now, it does lead to an event called salvation, the born-again experience. I'm thankful that personally I know my spiritual birthday, April the 10th, 1972. That's when I was born again. I I know that. But there was a process that led me up to that point. And do you know that in our culture today, it takes people 25 times to hear the gospel clearly articulated before it has any penetration into their hearts? So we've just got to be willing to, to go along with the process It takes time for the fruit to ripen. It takes time for people to begin to embrace their need for the person of Jesus Christ. And so the process, let me talk to you about the process here real quick. The process of evangelism follows this path. Now, I'm not saying it always does, but typically now in our culture today, this is the path that it follows. Um, The first one is this. And by the way, can I say, 20 years ago, it was just the opposite of what I'm about to describe. 20 years ago, you could walk door to door with a little track that said the four spiritual laws, knock on a door, a stranger would come to the door, and you would say, I would like to share with you about God and about how you can have a relationship with God. And then you would, I I did this many, many times, and I actually did lead people to Christ. What I found that over the last 20 years, things have completely changed. Because people are so suspicious and they're so suspect and they're so pulled away and so afraid that somebody's going to dupe them. And, and so what we've got to understand is that many times now in our culture today, the way it works is this, that before you can win them to Jesus Christ, you've got to win them to you. We win them to us. We become their friends. We become an authentic you know, witness for them as we develop Emotional equity with them, and we, we love them, and we enjoy them, and we help them, and we talk to them, and we, we, we visit with them about things until finally, ultimately, I, I think the next step oftentimes is then we bring them to church. We just bring them to church, and we let them, we cut them in on this part of our life. And then, third, then we win them to Jesus. And by the way, it is so important, and I, I've written an article, it'll come out in a, a vision here, I think, in about two months. And it's about don't win your friends, though, to the church. The ultimate is to win them to Jesus Christ. People sometimes come to church thinking the church is going to solve all their problems. Church isn't going to solve their problems. The church simply gives them an opportunity to come to know the one whose name is Jesus that will bring life to them, abundance to them, salvation to them, healing to them. And so we win people to us. And so could I encourage you? Here this morning, in fact, these cards that we're going to use at the end of our service, I would encourage you even right now in your mind, take, a, take a, an inventory of your friends. Who, who are my friends that, uh, that might need the Lord Jesus? I, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit sort of troubled, even in my own life, by how isolated I become from the lost. And over time, you don't have any Christ, or non-Christian friends anymore. You don't have anybody to share with because you've sort of pulled out. And so what we have to do is intentionally build friendship in this world. In fact, how to win your friends to Jesus. This is the last part of the outline. Now, this first one is real deep. It's heavy. It's theological. But listen to this. The first step in winning your friends to Jesus, make some friends. Hello? Hello? Make some friends. <laughs> Make friends, and find friend. find people that you can befriend that you love that are outside the kingdom of God. It, it's, so, you know, this whole thing, well, does, but pastor, doesn't it say 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're to separate ourselves from the world? Yeah, we're to separate ourselves from the world system. Yeah, we're to separate ourselves from what the world says is the way that we have purpose and, and, and satisfaction in life. Yes. Yeah, we're to, we're to separate ourselves from the philosophy of this world, but not from the people. Because the people are lost, and they're broken, and they're hurting, and they're looking for life. We've taken that as, you know, we're going to hunker down in our bunker, and we're going to hide out, keep the world away from it. No, and I, this is why I love this church, i got to tell you, because I, I, I have some of my dearest friends, you guys are champions, you're out there. In the world, bringing this great message to people. So make some friends. Take a, an inventory of your friendships. Number two, establish common ground. Establish common ground. Go out to lunch with them. Spend time with them. Um, do it at the right time. I've, I, I've had people come to me and say, Boy, Dan, I just about got fired for witnessing uh, at work. Well, can I, can I tell you something? You, you aren't paid to witness at work. You're not paid to do it. You do your job, but there are things called lunch breaks, and there are days off, and there are times where you can just simply be who you are. And so, so don't put yourself in a position where, you know, you're, you're bucking your employer. Don't do that. But I'm, I'm just saying, build equity. Build, talk to people. If they like golf, talk to them about golf. I mean, if they like golf, tell them about your handicap. I always tell them, my handicap is I'm left-handed. I play left-handed. That's my handicap. I'm handicapped. That was supposed to be a joke. You guys aren't laughing today. That's okay. (laughs) If they, you know, if they like horses, if you find out they like horses and you saw a horse when you were 12 years old, talk to them about that. You know, most people have family issues. They have kids. They have, you know, things going on in their life. They have jobs. Talk to them about the things that they enjoy. Because what you see in Jesus in John chapter 4, He just begins to socially engage this woman. She's the one that brings up the spiritual stuff. Read the story. He doesn't bring up anything spiritual. She does. He just simply engages her in a social way. And ultimately it leads to her coming into the kingdom of God. And then number three. I would encourage you to arouse their interest. And and what I mean by that is this. Tell them about your experience with Jesus Christ. Tell them about how God has been good to you. You know, we say around here, God is good. Boy, you guys are asleep today. God is good. And all the time. But what does that mean to you? And whatever that means to you, then that is a way that you can arouse their interest. You can talk to them. About the goodness of God. I'm so thankful uh, for these two young men who have come into our lives, Arnold and Justin. And uh, one of them is our adopted son. The other one is our foster son. And we have two young men now. We're back in the saddle, you know, parenting. These two young guys have brought into our lives some really, really wonderful people. People up at Bremwood, social workers, attorneys, people that work with them, and many of them are people that don't know the Lord Jesus. And it's really brought us back into real direct contact with people who don't know the Lord. And one of the social workers that was in our home, she said, you know what, I mean, it's just amazing to me. Arnold is a completely different kid. I mean, he was a good kid at first. This kid, is it's just amazing what has happened to him in your home. And Justin is a good kid, but he's just flourishing in your home. How does this work? She said, how does this work? And, and Roylene and I said, oh, here's how it works. We pray to the Lord our God. Because <laughs> we don't know how to do it. But we pray to the Lord our God. And then we love them. And we hug them. And we bless them. In Jesus' name. And she said, is that it? And I said, that's it. And I said, would you ever like to come to church someday? She said, oh yeah, I'll come. Great. Folks, arouse their interest. Tell them about the hope that you have in the person of Jesus Christ. And then number four, invite them to church. Invite them to church. Get the ball rolling. Involve them in this wonderful part of your life, this part of your life. You know, some people think that simply inviting people to church is such an unspiritual thing. Folks, it is an incredibly spiritual thing. That you you would invite someone to come to, to, to church with you. Um, 1 Corinthians 14, let me see if I have time. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, it says, So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying... He will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God explaining God is really among you. Now the question, I, I know this is, you know, you get wrapped up, well, tongues and... This, this. Folks, can I ask you qu- How'd that unbeliever get to church? Like was the bar next door and he just went through the wrong door? I You know, is that... No, somebody brought him. So, somebody brought that guy to church. And then he experienced God there and then he falls down and says, truly the Lord is the Lord and He is among you. And so so what I'm saying is, invite people to come here. Folks, Easter is the prime time to invite people to come to church. But can I encourage you to do this? Prepare them before you bring them. Prepare them just a little bit. And the way you do that is you simply raise the questions before they ask the question... And then you answer the question before they even ask the question. Like, for instance, um, you'd say, you're probably wondering what you're supposed to wear. What you got on is great. Because in our church, we, we're, we're, not, we're not against suit and ties, but we're not a suit and tie church. So you just feel welcome to wear whatever you want to wear. And, and when you get here, uh, you, you may notice that you know, there's like a band up here instead of an organ. And that's, that's just the way we... Worship God. And the the volume might be pretty loud. And that's just sort of where, you know, and, and you're going to even notice that there are some people that are going to raise their hands. And like, don't get, don't freak out. It's kind of like, you know, the way we do Easter is like sort of spring break at Cancun. You know, we just sort of come together and we celebrate... The person of Jesus Christ because we're excited about who He is. So don't be freaked out by that. And then even if the pastor invites people to come forward and you see people laying hands on Him, this is the way we do ministry because we believe this is the way the Bible teaches us to do ministry. And so just sort of prepare them. Get them ready because it's a powerful thing when people come to the Lord in this way. And then here's the last thing, number five. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I, and, and I'll just give you a little story and then I'm going to stop. A young man came to me just a few weeks ago and he said, Dan, you taught a message on the love of God. And he said, and then you ask, is there anyone here that doesn't know Jesus? Why don't you just raise your hand. And he said, I was so frustrated with you. Because he said, I brought a friend with me and he was sitting right beside me and I, I sort of opened my eye and looked over and he had his hand up. And you didn't see his hand. And it just really frustrated me. Because here this guy is. I brought him and I talked to him about the Lord. And, and, and he said, and you, you didn't see his hand. But then he said, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. And he said, it's okay that your pastor's blind. It's alright. You're going to take your friend home. Talk to him about the Lord. Tell him and so he said so i drove him home and as i drove home i began to talk to him about uh jesus and my relationship and how he could have a relationship and he said and then we stopped and then i led him in prayer and he invited jesus christ into his life and he said now i put my arms around him and i'm teaching him how to pray and how to re- i grabbed this kid by both ears i pulled him up and i put this great big kiss on his face and i go you're a champion you're a champion because you've been led by the spirit Doesn't take me. I mean, I'm gonna do my job, but I'm I'm telling you, there is this incredible power when you engage your friends. And so here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's our ministry time. I'd like you to pull out those cards. The, the, the little card that says Easter invitation. Are there, are there cards in your, there should be. Should be cards there. Okay, could you just pull them out? This is our ministry time. Alright? And we're gonna minister today in prayer for the lost. But here's what I'd like you to do. Listen, please, don't throw these away. These represent people, you know. These represent people who might be at a a season in their soul where they're going through some very difficult things. They may be going through a divorce. They may be going through a a sickness. They may be going through a a relational uh, problem in their lives and they're ready I mean, God has them ready. And I, you know, you'd say, well, Dan, are you, are you trying to capitalize on people's misery? No, I'm trying to bring them the answer to their misery. And that's what you're doing too. And so I want you to take these cards. And while I pray, I believe the Holy Spirit, at least for many of you, are, you're going to, you're going to get some pictures of people, names, families, neighbors, friends, coworkers, people that you go to school with. That you could either fill this out, this card out, with a little invitation on the side, say, "I'd love for you to come to Easter service with me," and then go home, stick a little stamp on it, and send it out in my mail, or you may just want to personally deliver this to them, and say, "I would love, I would absolutely love for you to come to Easter service with me." We put together a packet that we sent up to Bremwood, which is the uh, the home up in. Uh, Uh, up in Waverly for the young people who have been misplaced out of their homes. And uh, I tell you what, we're so excited that we're going to go back up. We're going to follow up on those invitations because these are great kids. Now, they just haven't. They haven't had the opportunities that we've had. But Jesus loves them. And if I have to pull together a crew of buses to bring them here, I'll do anything I can do to get them here. Because I believe it's here that they're going to experience the person of Jesus Christ. At least this is one of the places where they can. So I want to encourage you. Do do the same. So could, could I just, if you would hold these cards in your hand, I just, I just want to pray. And then we'll worship. Worship team, why don't you come on out. And I just want to say, Father, in the name of Jesus Oh God, we pray, Lord, that as we send out these cards, as we deliver these cards uh, face-to-face, that you, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would bless the hearts of the folks that we want to touch and love, our friends, our family, the people we work with, and that maybe some of them will not respond, but I believe many of them will, so they can have an opportunity to hear this incredible message and then respond to it. So we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this great privilege. We bless you. And as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we are here to say, Father, we want to do our job here upon this earth. We bless you in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen.